Good morning, Linworth. All right. Hope you guys are doing well. If you guys want to go ahead and stand up, and we're going to worship together.
Yes, Lord, your name has power. We sing that praise to you this morning. We sing to you to glorify your name, to display your power here today. Lord, I just pray that you would be here and that you would make your presence known, that you would speak through Robbie this morning, just that we would be receptive to hear what you have for us through him. Let's pray that you be with us through the rest of this service and make yourself known. In your son's name, amen. Amen. All right, all the kids, you guys are dismissed across crew. And everybody, if you want to say hi to a neighbor or see who's around you that you may not know. Thanks. Okay, good morning, Linworth. Hey, gang. Good morning. Welcome. Excited to have each and every one of you here this morning. If you're present or if you're watching online, welcome you as well. We're excited to be together this morning. I think we have a really rich service ahead of us. We've already experienced it, right? We've been able to sing the good news, sing the gospel. Remember what God has done for us through Christ. Silence sin, the power of sin, and silence the power of the grave. So exciting. Hey, want to welcome uh, anyone that's visiting this morning or from our community. We're glad you're visiting with us this morning. And or if you're watching for the first time online, welcome. Hey, one way for you to connect with us, for us to know a little bit more about you and for you to get to know a little bit more about us is there is a connect card in that pocket right in front of you. Uh, if you could fill that out sometime during the service and you could uh, give it to one of our pastors or you can drop it off. There's a couple of boxes there in our lobby. You can also, for uh, our members and attenders, that's a place you can leave your offering as well. But uh, we'd love to hear from you, get any feedback. Uh, there are uh, front of that card or back of that card, there are ways by which we could serve you or pray for you. Please let us know um, uh, what we can do or any information you'd like. And if you're a guest, again, before you leave, stop by our welcome uh, uh, desk. Again, you can leave your card there as well, but we've got a free mug that we'd like to give you as a little gift for, uh, to say our appreciation for you being uh, here this morning. Um, before we have our message this morning, I have a couple of announcements and one that I'm really excited to reintroduce. Uh, this ministry went dormant over COVID and it is a fantastic opportunity to reach with the good news we just sang about to some of our communities most vulnerable and uh, or at least those that are really in, in dire straits. And it is a prison ministry. You uh, walked past their information when you came in this morning. It's called Kairos Ministry. We have a couple of our members that have been trained. They will be present at Marion Correctional Institute from September 22nd through the 25th. And there are some ways that you can be involved in helping to affect this in particular is a men's 
correctional institution, there are some practical ways that you can be involved. Um, please see the table. Um, you can buy meal tickets. Uh, Barry just told me that uh, the volunteers and the, the men involved take over $9,000 worth of food to feed the uh, uh, to feed these men, the prisoners, over the weekend. And, uh, and one of the things that they love and one of the things that really softens their heart and just opens up the weekend is chocolate chip cookies, right? <laughs> Cho chocolate chip cookies go a long way. I had some good ones last night, as a matter of fact. And uh, so you can make chocolate chip cookies, a dozen per bag, and we, we're going to collect those uh, the following two Sundays. They've got to be back here by the 11th. But Barry has told me, please don't think that's a small thing. It really goes a long way in just, again, building bridges. Um, they have seen, the volunteers involved with Kairos have seen miracles. They have seen amazing things happen with these individuals. And uh, so we're really excited to support this ministry. Just stop by the table on your way, your way out. And secondly, um, our fitness ministry is offering a unique need for the women in our church. And so let's see this video. And then Casey Rivera and Hannah Wright are going to just tell us a little bit more about this study that they're providing for our women. Ready, Tammy? Shame off you. We weren't meant to live in the vacillating swing between hiding and striving. Our bodies are not projects, trophies, measures of our goodness, and they are not the worlds to weigh in on. Shame off you. We didn't start this fight with the enemy over body image, but we can be the generation that draws the line in the sand and declares it's time to live in liberty. Shame off you. God is not dismayed or defeated by the state of your humanity, your size, your shape, and your aesthetic will not be a liability or an asset when it comes to your kingdom effectiveness. Shame off you. It's time to get biblically equipped with truth that changes your life and changes the world. It's time to gather with other women and change our language so culture follows suit. It's time to break free from body shame. Hi, um, my name is Hannah Wright. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my husband Adam and I have been at Linworth for about a year and a half, but if you had met me only two or three years ago, you uh, would have met someone who looked probably pretty fine on the outside, but inwardly was just a total slave to restriction and over-exercise and ultimately the enemy's lies about my body and my worth. Um, and the thing is, for most of my life, I don't think I would have even called what I was doing bondage because the way I thought about myself and the way that I treated my body was just in line with a lot of cultural norms, both in and outside of the church. Um, but praise God, Jesus has freed me from that. And uh, in the process of healing has really taught me the importance of having a community of like-minded women who are fighting for freedom, um, just armed with the truth of God's word. So uh, Jesus redeems our whole selves, including how we relate to our bodies. And he has one freedom for us in this area, which is why Casey and I are starting this study. 
And similarly, I have my completely own story with the same with body image. And what's crazy is Hannah and I have both met with the Lord in very different ways, and he's freed us in very different ways. So this study that we're offering is really just to open the door for the Lord to do the work in your heart. So we're just setting the table and, you know, you know, having a space, which it'll be at Hannah's home. So we're just going to have a space for us to all come together, follow this study, but really just meet with the Lord and ask him what he has to say about all this. So um, if you guys want to join, just email either Hannah or I. Um, it should be in the bulletin, correct? It's in the bulletin, our emails. If you know us, just text us, whatever, and we'll get you on the list and we'll get the books ordered. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys, so much. And I should mention as well, again, the announcements are also, for those of you online, they're in the Bible app, and so you can, you can connect to their information there. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, you know, if you didn't know this, it's one of the really unique things about the Christian faith. Um, major, other major religions really don't um, care about the body. But uh, as Hannah said, our redemption is spirit and body. And so that's just a very important part of our lives. And we appreciate what, uh, what those two are, uh, are doing. Hey, um, so for this Sunday, we're taking a one week break from our series called Wait, That's in the Bible, where we have been talking about challenging things in the Bible and giving solid and concrete answers why we really believe the Bible to be a trustworthy and reliable source for the mind and the heart of God. And we'll return to that next Sunday. Um, this Sunday, because of our, we had our leaders retreat yesterday, we had a, a very special speaker, and so we asked him to stay on Sunday. He's not really a stranger to us, he has been uh, here before, spoken at Linworth before. His name is Robbie McAllister. And Robbie is a great friend to our church. He is a uh, husband of Chris. He is a father of three sons, a grandfather of two. Uh, he has been engaged in ministry uh, in our network of churches for 42 years as a pastor, as a church planter, as a missionary, as a missions advocate. We sang that song a little bit ago about God's picture of the whole world shouting his praise. You know, that really is God's heart and God's desire, and he is going to accomplish it. Robbie has been an advocate and a mobilizer for that for many, many years. His ministry in our church have interfaced over the years in the mid 90s, when he and his wife, Chris, and their children, three sons, uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union moved to Kiev, Ukraine, uh, is when we started to send short-term mission trips overseas. Our church went six times, and uh, we were a financial supporter, and of course supported by teams, but were a part of seeing two churches start and planted in Kiev, but that was all under Robbie, Robbie's leadership there at that time. And then here recently, a number of you have gone to Greece where because of the incredible needs of refugees, this has been part of Robbie's work recently and meeting the great needs of refugees. He'll talk more about that in this world of migration. Um, uh, a number of you had the chance to go overseas and to see the unbelievable need that exists to provide humanitarian support and to also live and to talk and to share Jesus with 
people who are in such horrible, horrible plight. And so in a lot of ways, Robbie has really impacted our church. He's impacted our particular mission strategy and um, his messages, his life have been a great inspiration for us. So how about an incredibly warm welcome for Robbie McAllister. Thank you. You know, every time uh, Chris introduces me, I feel really humble because, you know, it's quite, a, quite something to follow, his introductions. But I do want to say how uh, privileged I am to be here today. It's just so humbling. I realize um, I'm an engineer by training, my first career. And, you know, I was even, before I started this morning, I was thinking, you know, if you count how many people are here and then you divide it by two, you know, I have like a 30-minute message here. You know, that's how many man hours that you have entrusted to me today to take your time and and I just hope and pray by God's grace it'll be worth your time being here and and uh, God is worth everything you know that's something I've started uh, ending a lot of my letters with is that Jesus Christ is worth everything and um, I'm just so thankful to be here and I stand before you very very humble that I get a chance to uh, talk in such a great church because Linworth has a, an amazing history of being a church that cares about your community, but also the whole world. You know, um, I tell a lot of people when I share that I'm not mad. I start my messages by saying that. I'm not mad, but I am passionate. So if I start yelling during the sermon, I just want you to know it's because I'm passionate, not because I'm mad. You know, over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to be in Corinth, the ruins of Corinth, three times. And you know, when you sit on the Bema seat where uh, Gallio, if you read the book of Acts, he you know, had Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, flogged and the flogging stones right there to your right. And you look over to the right of the forum and there's an area there where the uh, runners would have their chocks and they would start one of the races that was part of the Isthmian games that took place in Corinth. And, you know, undoubtedly when Paul is writing in his letter, 1 Corinthians, he is keeping some of this in his mind when he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And you know, it's interesting, that context of that passage actually is cross-cultural evangelism. You know, God wants us to run to win. And in my humble opinion, at least one way for the church to win is to finish Christ's last command that he gave us called the Great Commission. The way we do that is by embracing that individually and corporately and to have a commitment in our personal lives to be mission focused. So this morning, what I want to talk about, you know, over my 65 years and actually my 42 years as a believer, you know, I really am so thankful that God has been kind of narrowing and narrowing my focus more and more and more to focus on my last lap of life. I was telling the brothers last night and sisters that, you know, when you're when you're coming through life and you start saying, well, I've probably lived about half my life, you know, I'm, you know, 35 or 40, and then you get to my age, 65, I'm not going to live till I'm 130. So I know I'm getting close to that last lap. And so I'm starting to think about that. You know, how do I want to run that last lap 
of my life. So this morning, you know, I want to just share with you some, you know, kind of have a, like a living room conversation with you, sharing my heart about what I feel like are five current considerations that I think compel us all to be missions-focused individuals in the world we live in and the context we live in and with the opportunities that God has put before us right now. So I'm going to pray again, if that's all right, and just ask God to lead our time. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for the privilege we have of being here. Lord, you are worthy of all. We worship you this morning. It's all about you, Jesus Christ. We know that you're the hope of the world. And Lord, there are people right now as we speak that are in crisis, that are in pain, that are in vulnerable situations, that are looking for truth, looking for hope, looking for someone to care about them and to love them. Lord, we know you love the whole world. God, you've called your church to be on mission, to share the love of Christ with every person. And so, Lord, today we just ask you to motivate our hearts. We know that your Holy Spirit is our teacher, not me. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts to understand your word. Uh, Lord, just speak to us right where we are. Everybody's got unique experiences and gifts. God, we uh, just commit ourselves to you today. We humble ourselves and ask you to lead us forward. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the first thing I want to mention about uh, this this call to mission is our purpose. And last night I was reminded by a dear sister that I got it wrong. You know, our purpose really is to know Christ. You know, Paul said that, you know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons Paul was able to do what he did was because he was very much connected to his identity in Christ. He understood the gospel. He understood what Jesus had done for him. And what flowed out of that was a compulsion to live his life fully for Jesus Christ. And so, assuming that our purpose is to know Christ and respond to that knowledge and to that understanding of our identity, I would say what follows from that is a commitment to the Great Commission. God calls us to reach all. You know, through the years, one of the Psalms that has haunted me, and it's haunted me in a good way because it challenges me every time I read it. We used to sing it in our churches. It's in Psalm 67. It says, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? That thy way may be known on the earth thy salvation to all the nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. And then the last phrase of that psalm is what really gets me. He says, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us so that all the ends of the earth would fear him. You know, God has uniquely blessed us here in the West. You know, you hear that phrase tossed around about who is the one percenter. You know, you've heard that in recent years. And I think in America, you have to make a half a million dollars a year to be considered part of the one percent. But let me tell you, if you think globally, every one of us in this room is part of the one percent. We have been blessed beyond measure when you think of what's happening around the world. And God has uniquely blessed us, not because we're something great. He has blessed us so that all the ends of the earth would fear him. His ultimate desire is that all peoples would know him, and he calls us to be a part of that. And you know what's really challenging to me is we don't have to do it. He's given us free will. We don't have to be a part. We get to do it. We don't have to be a part of what God's doing. We get to do it. And there's no greater privilege for a Christ follower than to be invited into 
his kingdom work with him. Now, I'm picking my prepositions very carefully here. We get to be invited into his work with him, not for him, because you know what? He's going to do it with us or without us. We get to be invited to do it with him. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing. Wow. He's building his church, and we get to come along and be a part. You know, Francis Xavier, who was one of the founders of the Jesuits, you know, his little phrase that he told all of his people back in Europe challenges me as well. He says, you know what? Tell the students to give up their small ambitions and to come east and preach the gospel because he saw the need. And I would tell us today, you know, I don't know what your ambitions are, but whatever they are, give up your small ambitions and commit your life to finishing the task of the Great Commission. What an adventure it is. Xavier died on the field in inland China. Of course, when we talk about finish the task, what we're talking about is peoples, not geopolitical nations. If you Google how many nations there are in the world today, the number 195 will come up or somewhere along in there, depending on what's happening globally with politics right now. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, reach all nations. He was talking about ethno-linguistic groups, and we know that they're somewhere between 15, 17,000. They're discovering new groups all the time. These are groups that have common language, common culture, common history, common ancestry, and they're unique culture groups. Half of them are unreached, which means they're 2% or less believing Christians that are in those ethnic groups. Half of those are also unengaged, which means there's nobody actively reaching into those groups. Now, some of them are small. They're unreached for a reason. They're hard to get to. They're very difficult to engage. Some of them are very uh, against any kind of proselytizing. And so they're still out there and they're still in need. Who's going to reach those people? How will we get to them? God calls us to reach all, but we're faced with this dilemma. How do we do it? The call is still there. That takes me to the second point this morning, our possibilities. Our possibilities are kairos moments. Kairos is a Greek word that means a moment of special opportunity. And if you look at the world and if you look back and scope back at history and even our current global situation, you see that God uniquely creates special moments. And in those special moments he creates, he expects his church to act in those moments. Jesus said in John 4, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white for harvest. I think we need to be ones that are asking, our, asking ourselves, you know, am I a person that walks every day lifting up my eyes and really looking around me? And not only around me and my Jerusalem, so to speak, but globally, looking around, where is God working uniquely? To give you a couple of modern day examples, modern day to some of us, at the end of World War II, Douglas MacArthur asked the Church of Jesus Christ to send out missionaries to Japan. And the church was slow to respond, and today, Japan is one of the least reached countries in the world. You know, that was a Kairos moment at the end of that war. The collapse of the Soviet Union, I, I know preachers oftentimes speak in hyperbole, but I'm telling you the truth here. I'm not speaking in hyperbole. When I first went to Ukraine, less than a year after they declared their independence, if you remember certain uh, clips you've seen on the media where the UN will go in with uh, truckloads of grain to famine areas and people are clawing 
to get their hands on just a handful of grain to eat. I, I'm not lying. In Ukraine, we would go into villages with boxes of Bibles. People would claw to get their hands on a scripture book, on a Bible. Ladies were giving me, I'll never forget this one woman. She gave me a half rotten apple just to get a Bible because she, it was all she had. But she valued the word so much. That's a Kairos moment, folks. That's a moment of special opportunity because when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was a truth vacuum. People were walking around every day saying, well, what is truth? We've been lied to for 70 years. I had people ask me, scream at me, please tell me about God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find that very often in my day-to-day walk in Columbia, South Carolina. But that was happening at Kiev, Ukraine in 1992. Today, I'm convinced that at least one, if not the major Kairos moment of our day is migration, global migration. In 2016, I was sitting in Hamburg, Germany in a room at a little church meeting. There were 17 Iranians that were refugees there. And they were going around sharing their testimony in Farsi, and we were hearing it through translation. And they didn't know each other originally. They had met once they got to Hamburg. Every one of them was telling their story about how how they had come to Jesus Christ. They said there were four things that was present in all of their stories. And these were independent uh, testimonies. One was that Christians showed love to them at some point in their refugee journey. Somebody loved them in Jesus' name. Number two, they were able to read the scriptures in their heart language. Number three, somebody prayed for them in Jesus' name. And then number four, which really kind of threw my theology for a loop, but I've heard it over and over and over again. They all saw some kind of dream or vision that God gave them, either to talk to somebody that was going to tell them about a person they needed to know or some man in white visited them. But those 17 people or 16, however many was there, 16 or 17, they all had the same testimony. God was working. That night, I mean, I was just in awe. That night, a businessman from Iran who had become a Christian came to us. We were there in the meeting. He said, I'm going back to Iran tomorrow. I want to be an evangelist. He said, but I want to be baptized before I go. I need an ordained pastor to baptize me. I was the only ordained pastor in the group. So I said, okay, I'll baptize you. So we got a little blow-up swimming pool, and we filled it with water. I baptized this man that night. He left the next day to go back to Iran as an evangelist. I have no idea what happened to him, where he is, or what he's doing. But God is at work in migration and in the Muslim world. There have been many more examples like that for me as I've worked in refugee camps in Europe. Uh, where Syrians and Afghans and Iraqis and North Africans, Somalis and Libyans and Tunisians and people like that were showing up, trying to get away from famine and terror and, you know, uh, uh, violence in their families. And just, you, I mean, you see it on the news, although it's not part of the 24-hour news cycle now. It'll make it as long as we watch it and then it shifts, but it's still there and it's not changed. It's also happened with the Ukrainians early in the 1990s, as I mentioned, but also recently with the war. <clears throat> I just got back in June from the border of Ukraine and Romania, where I went and helped translate for a small team that was there. We literally met with thousands of Ukrainians that were crossing back and forth, and we were able to give them water and give them food and, 
give them hope. We prayed for them. We uh, shared the gospel with them. They were in transit. Most of them were women and children and elderly because the martial law requires men from 18 to 60 to have to stay in their country and defend their country. 15 million, up to 15 million have been displaced in the last six months. Seven million of those are refugees. Eight million are, are displaced internally. A quarter of the pop, more than a quarter of the population of the whole country is on the move. Opportunities are everywhere. But as we think about this special moment that God is giving as we look around the world, who's going to go to Iran today? Who's going to go to Afghanistan? Who's going to go to Iraq or Syria or China or Saudi Arabia or Somalia or northern India near Pakistan or militant Hindu areas? Who's going to go to those places with the gospel? Yet, all of these peoples are represented in our own communities and in universities right here in the USA or in refugee camps in Europe where we can easily reach them, love them, serve them, and give them the hope of the gospel. God creates special moments of opportunity around the world and Christians, we must act. We must act. The third thing that I want to mention today is our priority. Our priority needs to be unreached peoples. You know, all people have value, but not all people have equal opportunity to hear. It's really easy. I know I live in the Bible Belt in Columbia, South Carolina. When I left to go to Ukraine in 1994, there were 500 churches in our metro area of 700,000 people. When I got back, there were 1,500 churches in the metro area. The population was just a little bit more. Lots of churches. One church plows ground one day, the next day a different church plows the same ground and over and over and repeat and repeat and repeat. And there are places in the world where there is not one church. There's an inequity of gospel deployment. And we need to be thinking about that. Many of them are places where there are unreached people groups that have never been reached. And when I think about this idea of reaching unreached people as a priority and asking God to show you how you can be a part of that, remember, it's not a value issue because my lost neighbor is just invaluable as a Syrian refugee or an Afghan that's leaving Afghanistan because they wore the American uniform and translated for our soldiers. They're all equally valuable and equally created in the image of God. It's not a value issue. It's a strategy and stewardship issue is really what it is. God has given us the same value system, and we need to think about it from a stewardship point of view and a strategy point of view. There's a reason that these people are the last peoples. They're hard to get to. You know, for everyone who's willing and able and personally call, and one of my jobs now is I get to go to churches, and I get to do this. I get to mobilize. I get to tell people about the opportunities, and I try to connect people with opportunity around the world. But for everyone who's willing, able, and personally called to go to the hard places or to focus on the UPGs, unreached people groups, or unreached, unengaged people groups, there are tens of thousands who are not good. Bible-believing, Christ-loving believers that are committed to sharing their faith in their neighborhoods, in their workplace, in their communities. But we have to at least pray that God would raise up workers for this strategic work of reaching the last peoples in moments that He Himself creates 
for the church to walk through. He creates those doors of opportunity for the church to walk through. Through migration, we can reach the last peoples in our own backyard. I did a little research before I got here. Did you know 11% of the students at Ohio State University are international students? 11% according to the internet. Now, I guess it was accurate. It was on Ohio State website. (laughs) International students at Ohio State are from 113 different countries, including China, Korea, India, Taiwan, Japan. You know, those five countries, which have the largest numbers, four out of five of these countries have sizable numbers of unreached peoples, and the majority are never even invited into an American home. Isn't that sad? It really is sad. One personal example for me is that we met an Afghan woman who was a refugee that came to Columbia, South Carolina, and many people were loving on her. She eventually came to Christ. In fact, I went to a baptism not long ago. It was really a wonderful time. I mean, it took several years for her to come to Christ. But what was really fascinating to me is that we found out that she had a brother and sister-in-law and their family that were in a camp in Greece that we were visiting. She gave us her name and number or contact information. I'm not sure. We found out her tent number. And when we went, it might have been a time when we had some people from here or from Awaken or from one of the other churches in the area here. But we were able to find that family in Moria camp, and there were probably 12 or 15,000 refugees in that camp. And we went in their tent and we shared the gospel with them in Farsi using Google Translate. And one of them has come to Christ and the other one is reading their Bible now. And this woman we met in Columbia, South Carolina. So when you reach a person here, you, you reach a tribe, a network, an extended family all over the world. It's not just a one and done. With technology today, we can reach the world from right where we are. Now, we need to still go. We need to still raise up and send workers. I mean, that's what Christ calls us to do. But we can also do it right here in our own backyard. We must focus on reaching the last peoples. It's just the strategic thing to do, and it's good stewardship of what God's given us. The fourth thing is our participation. You know, this is something that I think is a bit controversial, but it's really helped me personally. And I would just challenge you with it. You can wrestle with it, chew on it, dream about it, think about it. But I think God calls us to be finishers, not just participants. He calls us to be finishers, not just participants. You know, Paul, when he talks in 1 Corinthians 9, he's expecting everybody to be a participant. But what's he calling us to do? He's calling us to win the race. He's calling us to run in such a way that you will win the race, not just be a participant. Christ is calling us to be finishers, and not only finishers, but winners, not just participants. Everybody participates, or should. For 2,000 years, we've not finished the Great Commission. Will our generation pass the baton yet again, or will we pull out all the stops and be finishers? I'm absolutely convinced. In the last four or five years, I've had the opportunity to work very broadly with a lot of denominations and a lot of churches. I am absolutely convinced we have all the resources we need to do it. We have the money, we've got the manpower, we've got the strategies, we've got the technology, we've got everything we need. It is there, it is here. It's just a matter of figuring out how to deploy it, how to you know, rally it together, and to go after it. It takes priority, it takes commitment, but it's important 
to do that. It's a discipline that we build over a lifetime with others who share the same values and priorities. How are we doing with that? Are your personal relationships that you're committed to, are they finishers? Are they people that are committed and passionate about knowing Christ and making him known to the ends of the earth? Who are your primary commitments? Who are you spending time with? What podcast are you listening to? What books are you reading? What stirs you at night before you go to sleep? What stirs you in the morning when you wake up? The things that you answer those questions, those are the values that you hold deepest. And I would just encourage us to wrestle with this idea of, God, would you call me to be a finisher and not just a participant? The last thing I would say is our platform. And as I said earlier, I believe the platform today for us to consider is migration. It creates an intersection of opportunities that we just simply can't let go by. In my humble opinion, it is the Kairos moment of our generation to complete the Great Commission. Why? I'll tell you several reasons. First of all, availability. There are more people on the move today than ever in the history of the world. They're available. We can access them. We don't have to go to the back, you know, regions of Tibet to reach Tibetans on the Tibetan plateau. They're in refugee camps in places that we can have access to. We don't have to go to Aleppo or to Damascus where bombs are dropping right now to reach Syrians. There are millions of Syrians in Turkish refugee camps right now that we can have access to. We don't have to go to Kabul. It would be terrible to go to Kabul right now. It'd be very difficult for anybody in this room to go to Kabul right now. It'd be very difficult. You can go, but it's dangerous. It'd be very hard to go, but guess what? There are tens of thousands, if not millions, of Afghan refugees on the journey from Afghanistan through Iran through Iraq, to Turkey, in Greece, and guess what? There are many in our own backyard right here in America, the refugee resettlement. Availability, accessibility. They're residing in open countries. You know, when we went to Greece the first time and we went to Moria camp, which was the largest refugee camp in Europe, probably the most squalored camp in Europe as well, you know, there were thousands, tens of thousands. And we could go and very easily go to Athens, catch a flight to, to Lesbos Island, drive up to the camp. Because of the Christian ministry, an indigenous Greek mission that had been so successful during the days when there were tens of thousands showing up every day on the islands off the coast of Turkey back in 2015 and 16, they allowed that Christian mission to stay in the camp which is very unique because they don't normally let Christian organizations be in refugee camps. The UNHCR and different other government organizations, they require you to work outside the camps, you know, through community centers and things like that. But this Christian ministry was in the camp. So we were able to go in the camp, go in the tents, love on people, help people. I mean, we did just basic stuff. We helped them build their tents. We helped them, you know, pick up their trash. I mean, we did all kinds of things. And they were just amazed. I had a woman who was from Syria. She was a PhD. She spoke five fluent language fluently. She taught French at a university. They put her in a new arrivals tent that was right next to a latrine that had no running water, no toilet paper. You can imagine. I won't go further than that. It was terrible. And she came up to me in perfect English. She said, we're human beings. Why are we being treated this way? And she said, you speak English, right? And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from America. And she just paused. She said, you're an American and you're here? Why would you come here? Well, that just tees it right up, doesn't it? Well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and we love you. 
And that just opened up an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with her. And not only her, we were committed to cleaning up that latrine. I won't go into details. We did it. And you know what? When they saw us doing it, the Syrians joined us, and we did it together. And then they started asking questions. I mean, I could tell story after story after story like that of opportunities. These people are accessible. They're residing in open countries. I couldn't go to their home country right now, but I can go to them at a refugee camp. I can go to them right down here at the university because they're here. The third thing is opportunity. Own ramps to effective engagement through refugee resettlement, international student ministry, NGOs, and key places. That's another reason why migration is so important. The opportunity is now. It's right in front of us right now to reach these people. Receptivity. Many, if not most Muslims I meet, and this is true. This is my anecdotal experience. I'm not saying it's true, you know, scientifically proven. But with my experience, and I've been quite a lot among Muslims, most Muslims I meet are agnostic or lukewarm towards Islam because they're leaving the countries because they don't want to be a part of a country whose religion is killing each other and killing one another. So they're giving up on it, and they're asking questions about it, and they're saying, why, what is truth? You know, we need to live in a better world than a world that just destroys women's lives and doesn't let them learn, and, you know, it's just amazing. And so they're asking questions. That's why they leave their countries, and they're seeking truth. And we meet Muslim after Muslim. I'll tell you one more story. This is so incredible. So I'm working in new arrivals in the camp there, and this man's perfect English. He whispered to me, he said, do you think you could get me a Bible? And I said, sure. And of course, I was like James Bond. I had these little digital Bibles, you know, you could kind of slide them in there and all that. So he said, but one thing, he said, I'm here with my sister. Please don't tell her that you gave me a Bible. And so about, you know, a few hours later, his sister came up and said, do you think you could get me a Bible? (laughs) And so I gave her a, a digital Bible and she said, don't tell my brother that you gave me a Bible. <laughs> well, by the end of the week, they had told each other they were reading the Bible. But I mean, we see that very, very often. It's just incredible. You can imagine how exciting that is to see something like that happen. And then lastly, is just strategy. It just makes sense to be involved in migration. Migration creates this intersection of opportunities that we simply can't ignore. So what we looked at this morning is five truths that I think compel us to be more mission-focused, and mission-focused with a purpose. We've looked at the purpose, the Great Commission, the possibilities. We've looked at the priority. We've looked at participation. We've looked at the platform. And when you share a sermon or a message, you know, the question that you're supposed to ask yourself is what? So what? How is this relevant? How can I get involved myself? Well, I'd like to give you three practical suggestions before I close down here. First of all, I think you need to start wherever you are. You know, I can tell you all kinds of stories about going here and going there. It's all great, but you're you're in a situation, your context. You know, I would just say start right where you are, but don't stop there until you're finished. Start where you are, but don't stop until you're finished. Time is short. The world's big. Pray, give, go as God leads. And in the words of the great great English missionary C.T. Studd, who had a lot of problems of his own, but I do like this quote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will laugh. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. You know, isn't that the call that God has on our life? You know, our life will be over in the blink of an eye. And what we do for Jesus is really all that matters ultimately, isn't it? 
Use whatever you have. Not everybody has the same gifts. You know, some of us have different loaves and fishes. Some of us are 30 folders, some of us are 60 folders, some of us are 100 folders. You know, uh, we have different talents and all of that, different experiences. You know, use whatever you have and uh, that's okay. God can take whatever you have and he can multiply it to meet the need of the moment, wherever you are, with whomever you are. You know, one of the reasons, you know, we did an initiative in Sweden. A lot of people wonder, well, why in the world would you go to Sweden? Sweden's a Christian country. If you look at Operation World, it says they're 10% Christian. Well, one reason we went to Sweden to try to raise up workers is because Swedes have this unique ability to get into any country in the world. Nobody hates Swedes, you know, <laughs> and they're good engineers and they can go to North Korea and they can go to Yemen and they can go to all these places. So if you raise up a Swedish worker, they can go anywhere in the world. Americans, unfortunately, can't do that anymore. We can go a lot of places, but there's some places where it wouldn't be safe for us to go. So use whatever you have. The last thing, do whatever you can. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Look for opportunities that God puts before you every day. I, I've become very convinced. I used to, many, many years ago, I used to believe that I had to create opportunities. You know, that I was that type A guy. Hey, man, we got to go out and make it happen. You know, I mean, you know, we got to go out and create it. I don't believe that anymore. I believe we do need to be aggressively active and in seeking out and looking for opportunities. But I believe God tees up opportunities in our life every single day. He's at work in his world and he's, he is sovereignly creating opportunities for the church. And what he's doing is he's just asking us to lift up our eyes and see where he's working. Look for those opportunities and he will present them before you. And then you'll need to be waiting, watching, and willing to step into those opportunities that God brings your way. Please hear me. I don't share these things as a guilt trip, but as a challenge to make Christ's last command our first concern and to think and act strategically as stewards of all that God has given us. And a final quote that challenges me to the core, and I'm going to close with this, comes from John Piper. He said this. He said, there are really only three kinds of Christians when it comes to missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, or disobedient. <laughs> so the question really is, who will you and I be? Will we be a zealous goer? Will we be a zealous sender? Or will we be disobedient? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to be together. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to just worship your holy name. You are worth everything, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of being your children. God, and everything that goes with that, as we think of our adoption as children into your family, as we think of the fact that, Lord, you're our creator, God. You're our father. You love us. Your grace is overwhelming. Your, your love is beyond bounds, Lord. I think of how Paul prayed there in Ephesians that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. It's a love that we can't even know fully is so great. Lord, we're so humbled when we think about all that we have in Jesus Christ, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. And Lord, as we think about that and we meditate on that and your spirit grips our heart with our identity in Jesus, there's something that switches in our hearts that says, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me to the world, my world right in my community where I live. But also, Lord, we know that you have a heart for all nations. 
So we ask, God, that you would stir our hearts and give us opportunities to reach all tribes and tongues and people and nations right here in our own backyard, but even in places around the world where you creatively allow people to land and we have access to them like never before. Even as Paul said in Acts 17, paraphrasing here, that you control the migration of peoples so that they will seek God. Lord, it's amazing when we think of that, that is it not you and your sovereign plan to control that 60 or 70 or 80 million people who are migrating today? And God, we ask you to help us as your children, as your church, to join with you in the work that you're already doing, that you've teed up for us. God, what a privilege it is to be a part of that. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. And we're so humbled and broken when we think about you allowing us to come alongside you in that great work that you're doing. Thank you for Linworth Church. Thank you for their heart for the world. Thank you for their heart for one another and their love for each other, their authentic living. Thank you for them being real. Thank you for them just being such a bright light here in Columbus and really around the world over the years. And God, I just commit them to you. And I pray that you continue to work in this church for the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ and him alone. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to continue on in some worship.
I pass through death as I enter rest. I depend on you. Yeah, I depend on you for eternal life to be
mission They had a plan from the start And your son for redemption The prize for my heart And I don't have a contest For that kind of love I don't understand, I can't comprehend All I know is I need you So I run to the Father, I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend So I run to the Father Say 
Christ alone Who took on flesh Fullness of God in helpless pain This gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground His body Robbie, thank you so much for giving us a message that really will, again, help us focus on what our purpose is. And I appreciated, um, uh, I appreciated, Robbie, that, that prayer where you connected this idea of when we are rooted in our identity in Christ, we know who we are. We know that we're sons and daughters. We know that we're loved. These last three songs, that's what we've been celebrating. We've been celebrating our sonship. We've been celebrating our daughtership. And when we are rooted and anchored and grounded in that identity, that's when that switch turns on and we say, Lord, not out of guilt, not out of guilt, not out of some effort to justify myself or find my own worth, but purely out of love. There's something it has that says in our hearts, here I am, send me. 
And that is our hope for every one of you that you'll have that moment, that encounter, that thin moment where he is so real and the veil between heaven and earth is so thin. And he says to you, he says to you, I'm calling you to leave those ambitions, those small ambitions and to follow me and to be a part of the greatest mission in the world to to see Christ followers developed all over the world, to see a world full of people in love with God. And then you say back to him, here I am, send me. Send me wherever you want me to go. Friends, that's the moment that we wish for every one of you to have. And Robbie, thank you for putting us again on that, in that place where we're ready to listen ready to do his will, just as Jesus was ready. Here I am, it says in Psalm 40, a messianic prayer, Jesus said to the Father, here I am, I'm ready to do your will. That's where we all wanna be. That's where we want this church to be. Um, hey, on your way out, be sure again to check out the Kairos deal. And we will have members of our prayer team here after the service. So. If you've come here this morning and you're wrestling and you're struggling and you're having a hard time putting things together, um, there's something in your heart, something going on, and you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the presence of Christ that we begin to encounter as we invite him in through prayer, we'd love to be able to pray for you. So as people dismiss, work your way down and allow one of our prayer team members to minister to you through the power and the presence of his spirit. So let's finish with a blessing. Let's finish with the Lord's blessing. Now, may he give you peace and may he make his face, his beautiful face, his glorious face, May he make his face smile upon you. Amen. Go in peace. Go and serve.